chapter 3. Thank you, Steve. That was a great song, beautiful song. I love the guitar. It's my favorite instrument. That's why I play it. Have for years. I love it. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to read 10 verses real quickly. We're diving into the middle of the story. I'm going to bring you up to speed to the verse we begin with in just a moment. We're studying Elisha, the prophet of restoration, restoration. God is the God of restoration. God restores. Verse 14, we're jumping into another restorative miracle of Elisha. Let's read it. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now he's talking to the king of Israel there and the king of Edom, two kings. He said, I wouldn't even, but primarily the king of Israel, I wouldn't even give you the time of day if Jehoshaphat were not here, king of Judah. These prophets, they didn't mince words, amen? For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now look what happened in the morning when the grain offering, now you ought to circle that, it matters a lot in this story. When the grain offering was offered, then suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. When they rose up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. So they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. And I believe for a clear word to come to many who need one today. Thank you for building us up in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them God restores. <clears throat> now, here's what leads up to the, the first verse. You've got three kings involved here, the king of Judah, the king of Israel, and the king of Edom, and then a fourth one, the king of Moab. Now apparently for years and years and years, the king of Moab had tithed to the king of Israel, I think it says 100,000 100, uh, sheep and then 100,000 goat skins every year at the time of shearing. That was when the king of Israel was Ahab. Ahab died. And Jehoram took his place. When Jehoram took Ahab's place, for some reason the king of Moab decided, well, he's not worth my tithe. He's not worth me giving him 100,000 sheep and 100,000 goat skins. So he refused to tithe what they were usually normally expecting every year. 
Now what happened was Jehoram, the king of Israel, got offended. He got offended. Now an offense is a dangerous thing. An offense is when somebody does something that hurts you, wounds you, causes you to stumble, causes you to trip. The Bible has a lot to say about it. I wrote a book about it, going all over the country. I was interviewed by Moody Radio Saturday morning on the book. Baker Bookhouse emailed me and said, we got contacted by our tape and bookstore, and they said, we got more requests for your book when you were being interviewed by Moody than ever in the history of Baker Books. Ever in the history. And you know why? Because so many people are offended. We live in an offended culture, and Jehoram became an offended king. Now, he handled it wrong. He handled it the way a lot of us handle offenses. Here's what he did. He took his offense to others, and he bled on them, his offense. And he went to the king of Edom, and he went to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And he said, this is what he's done to me. He has spurned me. He's not giving to me what he usually did. He's left us in a lurch. I'm offended. And he gathered around himself a little offended trio. It's the original We Three Kings. And he said, will you go to battle against Moab with me? And they said, sure. Now, please understand, Jehoshaphat was a righteous king. The other two were not. At the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 3, it tells us Jehoram was chasing after the sins of Rehoboam. He had not cleaned up Israel. The only thing he had done after Ahab died was remove the, the idol of Baal. That's it. He left everything else. And so he was walking in sin, and the king of Edom was walking in sin. So you got an offended king. He's surrounded himself with two others who have taken up his offense. And now they have embarked on a war based on an offense and not a word from God. They picked up his offense. You know, folks, when you pick up somebody else's offense, you run the risk of being involved in the discipline that God brings to them for not handling the offense rightly. You, become, you run the risk of, of becoming involved in that discipline with them if you pick up their offense. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Jehoshaphat and to the king of Edom. They have no divine guidance to go into this war. They decide to go up against Moab, but there's no divine guidance. They are being moved by an offense instead of a word from God. You know, folks, if there was ever a day, we need to be moved when we move by a word from God, not an offense, not flesh, not a carnal reason, whatever the reason may be. I think if there was ever a time in the nation called America that God's people within that nation need to be being moved, taking their steps according to a word from God instead of based on offense-driven steps or flesh-driven steps. We need to be driven by, moved by, prodded by a word from God. They had no divine guidance at all and literally walked in a circle. What you see is in verse 9 it says they marched round about Edom for seven days. Now, you know what they literally ended up doing? The Bible says that as they began to march, they hatched a plan. All right, we're going to go by way of Edom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go by way of Edom, and we will attack from there. But when these three kings took off, 
They took an army with them. They wound up walking in frustrating circles around Edom endlessly. Now I'm going to tell you something today. You can either move on a word from God or you can move in the flesh. If you move in the flesh, I'm talking about where you work, I'm talking about where you live, I'm talking about where you go to church, I'm talking about what you do with your life, I'm talking about who you run with. Because I want you to notice Jehoshaphat was a righteous king who hooked up with two unrighteous kings and the unrighteous took him down. Listen, folks, if you run with the ungodly, you will not pull them up. They will pull you down. And the most dangerous ungodly are those who look godly, sound godly, seem godly, appear godly. They may say the right things, but their lifestyle betrays what they say. And that's the most dangerous kind because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Do you think the devil is going to send somebody to you who looks like a hell's angel? who cusses like a sailor, who lives like hell to take you down? No, he's going to bring somebody that looks right, seems right, appears right, but the more you get to know them, the more you see that their lifestyle does not reflect what they say. These two kings brought Jehoshaphat into walking in frustrated circles. This is such a picture of what happens to you when you depart from God and walk according to something that is not a word from God. Oh, we need a word from God. We need a word from God. We need to hear from God. we got to do whatever it takes to hear from God. How many people are out there in the church walking around in circles in their relationships, walking around in circles in their money, walking around in circles in their life, just walking around flailing in frustrated circles because they're not moving on a word from God. Listen, when God gives you a word, it is clear, it is specific, it is, it is exact, and you begin to walk in that word, it is so clear, there is no confusion, there is no perplexity. You may be attacked from this side and that, but when it's a word from God, His word is a lamp to your feet, it's a light to your path. He said, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to hear from God. Listen, He knows how to talk to you. You say, I don't know how to hear from God. He knows how to talk to you. Don't question your ears. Have confidence in His mouth. He can talk to you. They're sitting there walking around in frustrated circles, walking in circles, no clear direction, no real goals, no real accomplishments. They're on a frustrating hamster's wheel. If you feel that way today, let me tell you something. You can go to counsel. If that counsel is any good, that counsel will say this to you. You need to go away. You need to get any sin that's in your life out and get a word from God. I mean, one word from God dispels the fog. One word from God makes the sun break through the clouds. One word from God can stand you on your feet. One word from God brings peace to a troubled soul. One word from God. Just one word from God can set you on a straight path. One word from God. The problems compounded when they ran out of water, and that's always going to happen when you get out of the will of God. When you get out of the will of God and you go off into battles that He didn't tell you to get into, and you start running with people He didn't hook you up with, you always run out of water. You know, you can function without a lot of things, but you can't function without water. And verse 9 in 2 Kings 3 tells us, that they ran out of water. There was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. They ran out of water. Thirst, 
dryness, lack of water, was always a sign of God's discipline and God's judgment in the Old Testament. And it's a lack of spiritual water was the sign of judgment and the lack of the presence of God in the New Testament. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, let me tell you something, if you'll realize who I am and believing in me, you will find water. You won't need to go to a well for it. You will find water springing up in your soul, springing up into everlasting life, and you will never need to thirst again. Folks, there is something to be said about being dead center, I should say live center, in the will of God. Because if you're in the center of the will of God, you can have dryness all around you, but the brooks of the Holy Ghost flow. There is a river. The streams whereof make glad. Is anybody hearing me today? Now watch this now. Here's Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and Jehoram, the king of Israel. They set off on a battle that was offense-driven and not ordered by God. And before long, their best-laid plans fell completely apart. And they found themselves just walking in frustrated circles, going nowhere. And I got to thinking about how many times that's happened in the Word of God. When Israel got out of the will of God, they walked around mountains in frustrated circles over and over again, never reaching the, their destination. When you're walking in circles, folks, you get this weird feeling of always coming up and saying, wasn't I here before? Huh, haven't I been here before? Let's go off again. And you do your own plans. You go not from a word from God, but on your own thoughts, your own mind, your own reasoning. You walk around again. You're not obeying God. You've gotten out of the will of God. And you find yourself going, here it is again. Why am I going but going nowhere? Why am I walking but walking nowhere? Why have I set out on a journey for the journey's leading nowhere? I keep winding up in the same place of frustration. What happened to Samson? Once his eyes were got gouged out and his hair cut off, they hooked him up to the grinding mill. And what did he do? He just walked around in endless circles, grinding at the mill, cursing the day, ruining the day that he ever departed from the will of God. And the only time he got off that mill is when he grew his hair back out, which was a sign of his heart getting right with God. Oh, folks, listen, the only way out of futile frustration and missing God and winding up nowhere is obedience to Him and seeking Him until He gives you a word from heaven. And when that word comes, everything changes. Thirst, dryness, lack of water. There it is. Picture it. Walking in circles with no water. The consequence of striking out in a, in a direction with no divine guidance. Moving by a fence. You know, I think it would be a good thing just to stop sometime. You know, this week, sometime today, maybe, you know, or this week, and just sit down and, and ask yourself this question. What is driving me? What's driving me? Because if you had gone up to these three kings before they got with Elisha, here's the before, before we see the after. I'm dying. I'm frustrated. If you had gone up to them and said, what's driving you? His offense. What do you mean? His offense is driving you to ruin your life? If you had gone up to Jehoram, what's driving you? My offense. You're letting offense drive you? Uh-uh. You can't let offense drive you. 
You can't let the flesh drive you. You can't let presumption drive you. There's only one thing that ought to be moving the people of God. A word from God. What's driving you three kings? Well, he's offended. We're offended because he's offended. It's all offense. It's offense-driven. Well, you're about to die over it. Finally, the only righteous one among them said, we're in a real pickle. Now, it's not, that's not even in the Hebrew. I made that up. So we're in a real pickle. We're about to die. And so Jehoshaphat, the only one that had any sense, said, there is a prophet. Now here's what you do when you find yourself walking in circles, frustrated circles, flailing in futility. Here's what you do. There's only one thing to do. Elisha was a type of Christ. There is a prophet. If we find that prophet, they said, here's what they said, we will get a word from God. We'll get a word from God. A word from heaven. So, the, so, so they went to the type of Christ, and he immediately saw what Jehoshaphat had done. He said to the king of Israel, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be talking to you. And the king of Edom, he didn't even address. But he, he said, because of Jehoshaphat, because I know as the king of Judah, he's been walking righteously, even though he really messed up hooking up with you guys, which gives me hope. Even if you mess up, God speaks into your mess. God spoke into his mess. Come on, everybody. I mean, he, he could have said, Jehoshaphat, you've compromised yourself. And so we'll see you later. I'm not even talking to you, but no, no, no. The mercy of God allowed Elisha to speak into his mess, speak into his mistake. Let me tell you something today. If you've made a mistake, my God is going to speak into it. He may tell you you made a mistake, but he's going to speak into it. He will address you in your mistake. So don't let the devil tell you you messed up so bad, he's not ever going to talk to you again. No, no, no. Jehoshaphat was standing there in the middle of compromise, and Elisha spoke the word of God into his mess. That ought to bring some of you hope. It brings me hope. Amen. He's a good God. Because every once in a while, we do mess up. Anybody here doesn't mess up? Stand up. Walk down here. I'll let you preach. I want to hear your story. I can imagine Jehoshaphat standing there as the prophet just nails him, and he realizes, I've compromised. I'm with two men that don't even walk with God. And I'm in this mess because I listened to them and picked up their offense and walked with them. And so, true to the word, Elisha looks at them and says something so insane, so crazy, so indefinable, that you go, huh, what? It reminds you of a few others. Naaman, go dip seven times in, in the Jordan. It reminds you of a few others. When the rivers were poisoned, give me some salt. When the stew was poisoned, give me some flour. This didn't make any sense. Elisha said, here's the word of the Lord. Start digging ditches in your valley. Start digging some ditches in your valley. Make this valley full of ditches. Now, if I'm one of them, come with me now. If I'm one of them and I've come with a major problem, I need water and I need victory over the Moabite army that's coming against me, what in the world does digging a ditch have to do with that? What do you mean dig ditches? We got to get down to business. We need water and we need to fight and we need to win. What do you mean dig ditches? What do you mean dip seven times? What do you mean you want salt? What do you mean you want flour?
Every time God tells you something to, get at, to, to, to bring you into restoration, many times, folks, it does not make sense. It does not compute. But they went and they got a word from God. And the word of God said, start digging ditches in your valley. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you're in a valley, what in the world do those ditches mean? What do they represent? What in the world? Why dig a ditch? Why do that? Why not do something logical? Remember that I've told you all these weeks we've been preaching on this. That when it comes to restoration, he's going to tell you to do something humbling. Go to that person and tell them you made a mistake and ask them to forgive you. Or tithe even when your money is low. Or go down to that altar and ask for somebody to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. Or some people have a problem with this. Get your hands up in the air and worship me during the time of worship and quit acting like you're God's frozen chosen. But I can't get my hands up in the air. I'm a businessman. If anybody sees me, it's going to go through the whole community. Let me tell you something. The day I got my hands up in the air and worshiped God was the day he baptized me in the Holy Ghost and fire. You know what it took? It took me humbling myself. You know, there's half-masked people. They all go like this. All the while, they're looking around making sure nobody's looking while they raise their hands this high. Why won't they do this? Because God is telling them to lifting holy hands without wrath and without doubting. But they're saying to themselves, if I do that, I'm going to look like an idiot. You know what? Sometimes God wants you to look like an idiot to the natural mind. So here we are, and, and, and God says, you know, for you to be healed, you've got to humble yourself, so get your hands up in the air and worship me. But I am dignified. I'm social. I'm a who's who. Let me tell you who you are before God. I remember when I finally did this, and I was half-masked for months in this one service I was going to. It was just a little home meeting. When I did this, it was like they became lightning rods. All right, whatever it is, whatever it is, to get restored, you got to dig a ditch. Dip seven times. Get your hands up in the air. Reach out that withered hand in front of everybody so you can have it restored. God will lead us to do things that are humbling, humbling. Often it doesn't cater to reason. It requires obedience. It requires an emptying of ourselves. I got to think, and what were those dishes? What did they represent? They represented something that was empty that needed to be filled. Every one of those ditches was like a cry to God. Fill me. God doesn't do anything by accident. Listen to this now. I've already mentioned Naaman had to go dip seven times. Every time he dipped in that water, what was he doing? Emptying himself of his pride. God needs empty vessels yielded to him that he might fill them with his power. That's what those ditches represented. At the wedding in Cana, when they said, the wine's gone, Jesus said, go get all the jars you can find and fill empty jars with water. In 2 Kings, we haven't gotten to the story yet, but in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 3, there is a widow who is in terrible debt, and they're about to take her and her sons off to prison. And the prophet Elisha says to her, go and get all the empty jars you can find from the neighborhood and bring all the empty jars from all your neighbors who will give you a jar into your house and every empty jar she brought into the house was filled with expensive oil by the miracle of God 
empty, filled, empty, filled, empty, filled. Now we've got these ditches, empty ditches standing there saying, God, fill me. Folks, there is something to be said for coming to God and saying, just as I am without one plea. I empty myself. I empty myself. Lord, what do I got as I stand before you? Who am I as I kneel before you? I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. God, I am coming to you empty. I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I give you what is empty that you might fill it. He can't fill it till you admit that it's empty. You got to admit that it's empty. Those ditches represented empty vessels that needed to be filled. They represented obedience in the face of perplexity. Faith that he would miraculously fill them because they were dying. A total yielding to his way of doing things instead of theirs. So with a Moabite army gathering just across the way and dying of thirst, they just began to dig ditches in their valley digging ditches and I know that it took a day suddenly this whole valley is just filled with empty ditches there's not a cloud in the sky the ground is cracked and parched where is the water gonna come from I read this morning this really blessed me because I didn't even mean to I just love Isaiah and I was just reading this morning, and I read something that I knew was for this message today. Here's what God says, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm going to read that again. I give water in the wilderness. You know what he said just before that? Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Don't have your mind fixed on what has already taken place that you can't do a thing about. He's saying, don't live looking in the rearview mirror. If you live looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to crash. Drive out of here today, I challenge you. Going backwards. I'll give you two minutes, you're going to crash. God said, don't remember, don't fix on, don't focus on the things of the past, the former things, nor consider the things of old. And this verse presupposes that whatever it was that was back there in the old is what got them into a wilderness. It presupposes that because he addresses people who need to forget something, then he addresses people who are in a wilderness. And he says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. As soon as you get your eyes off the past, I am one who gives water in the wilderness where there isn't any water. And I give rivers in the desert where there is no river. Oh, maybe I'm just preaching for me today. But I tell you, you got to hear this now. God says, I'm the one. It doesn't matter where you are, I can break forth a spring. It doesn't matter where you are, I can cause a river to come. I'm the God who says, let there be, and there is. I can dry up a river or I can release a river. I can give you water where there is no water. It doesn't matter as long as you obey me. Come on, everybody. He is. He, he identifies himself as the God who brings rivers where there is not normally a river wilderness places desert places if you ever walk through the California desert there where they make all the movies I'm gonna tell you something there is no water 
It's about 120, 125 degrees, heat waves bouncing off that sand. One thing there is not, there is no water. There was no cloud in the sky. This story is very clear, no cloud in the sky. There was no rain. But I want you to listen to me now. Breakthrough came in the morning. Breakthrough came in the morning. I want you to see the mercy of God, and even though they were doing wrong, by the mercy of God, it was made right. They were redeemed. They were restored. Though Jehoshaphat compromised to even be there, he was forgiven and restored. Because it says, at the time of the grain offering, here's just a bunch of empty ditches. It looks stupid. How's your ditch going? My ditch is just fine. How's the ditch over in your valley? Oh, my ditch is just fine. I dug one good ditch. It's a pretty ditch. Look at that ditch. It's deep, but you know what? It's empty. I don't know why I dug that ditch, except I'm believing that God is a God of miracles. So that ditch represents my obedience. It represents my faith. It represents that I have given him what is empty, that he might fill it. Now it's all up to him. I've done what I can do so he can do what I can't do. You need some ditches dug, folks. If you're in financial trouble, give some money and dig a ditch. If you haven't praised God in a year or two because you're so down and under things, start praising Him. Dig a ditch. Posture yourself for a miracle. Come on, everybody. This is real. This is Bible. The grain offering was the sin offering. And I just saw something when I read that. When He wanted to purify the bitter water, he dropped salt in it, the sign of covenant. When he wanted to heal the poison stew, he put flour in it, which was involved in the sin offering. When he wants to bring a miracle of water, the water breaks forth at the time when sin was atoned for. Now I see a Bible pattern here, and I want you to watch this closely. The Bible pattern is, if you miss God and you're out there, you go to him. They went to Elisha. You confess the sin to him. He nailed him and said, you've compromised to even be here. They said, you're right. Then you obey what he tells you to do. You obey what he tells you to do. You'll never get out without obedience. Nothing will ever change until you obey. You can confess all day, but until you obey, it won't do you any good. You've got to obey what he tells you to do. Obedience is the only way out of a valley of dryness and futility. The only thing that will get you out is to obey. He's telling you to do something. He's directed you to do something. You know that he has. Nothing's going to change till you obey. It says make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. How? By straight paths for your feet. So they obeyed. They went to sleep that night with ditches everywhere. Woke up the next morning. As soon as that priest offered the grain offering for sin, it says, from Edom, out of nowhere, no rain, water began to flood the valley. You go to him and say, I've messed up. You get forgiveness. He says, here's what you do. You humble yourself and you do this and you do that, whatever it happens to be for you. 
and at the point of obedience when you've gone to the Messiah and asked him what to do, as soon as you do that, when the sin is covered, the Bible pattern is that is the place, that is the spot, that is the hour when God releases the waters of the Holy Ghost onto your life again, and there is a flow in your life again, there is life in your life again, there is direction in your life again, the scales come off your eyes, God leads you in a clear path again. You're delivered from futility. Amen. Thank God for deliverance from futility and from thirst. Because there it began to flow. And watch this now. As they stood there watching water come out of nowhere and all the ditches were filled and brimming over with water, the animals jumped in, began to lap it up. The men began to lap it up. Water from nowhere. Water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Pastor, I'm surrounded by adversity. You do what God tells you to do, and though adversity is all around you, waters will flow in that valley. Oh, Pastor, I'm in a place where there's a whole lot of sin around me. I can't help it. It's at work or wherever, and it's really grieving. Listen, it doesn't matter. As long as you obey God, the water is going to flow in you and out of you and up and right back up to Him. The Bible says the enemy is on the other side. Watch this. When God pours out His water of life onto you, after you have obeyed, your blessing becomes the enemy's curse. Because it says the enemy, the Moabites, on the other side, they peer across. They don't know because there's been no clouds. They don't know that water has flooded that valley. That red Middle Eastern sun began to peek over the horizon. And the red reflected off of the water. They looked and they went, oh. They turned on each other. The king of Edom turned against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat against Jehoram. They have fought each other. And now look, their blood is flowing so that we can even see it. They said, to the battle. They had no idea that God had forgiven them and restored them and water was flowing. Let me tell you something. The enemy fears this. He fears the water of the Holy Ghost flooding your life. He fears the blessing of God on your life because your blessing becomes his curse because there they are. They have no idea that Moab has looked at them and said they've killed each other. So in, in haste and in presumption, they rushed towards them and Israel was standing there with swords drawn and they totally slaughtered their enemy by the power and the will and the might of God. And they got all the victory. And how did it happen? God restored first their walk to them, then the waters of life to them, and then their blessing cursed their enemy. Do you know that God wants the enemy to be cursed, to rattle his teeth, shake his head, pull his hair out over the blessing on your life? Elisha brought restoration. You know what word the Lord put on my heart for us today? If you sin, confess it. Get it out in the open and confess it. Then whatever he says to you, do it. It's going to humble you. It's not going to be easy. It may not even make sense. This never made sense to me. It still doesn't. I just do it. Tithing doesn't make sense to me. Just do it. Forgiving enemies, blessing people that curse me, that doesn't make any sense to me. I want to whoop them. 
but he said, do it. How is it when we do it? The water flows. When the sin is covered, the water flows. When obedience takes place, the water flows. And our valleys become fruitful. Amen. Can you stand with me today? If you needed this today, can you put your hands up in the air again if you don't agree with it or understand it? If you needed this today, can you do it? Now, you know, I want us to take a moment to say, Lord, I want a clear word from God. Now, I ask you to forgive me for any sin that would stand in the way of me hearing you. I ask you for a word that will lead me to a fruitful place. That my valley, instead of killing me, will be filled with life-giving water. Now, Heavenly Father, while their hands are raised, I'm asking you to speak to every heart. If there's anything we need to do, whatever ditch we need to dig, speak it to us. Now, I'm going to ask you to listen to him for a minute, would you? Speak it to us. <laughs> 